0: welcome to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing God's praises together. Your glory on our face, we're looking to the sky, descending like a cloud, you're standing with us now, Lord. I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me Don't Father we are in awe of your love for us help us to know your love to experience the depth of your affection for us so that we can stand confident in who we are in who you say we are and in that assurance may we be ready and more able to love those around us people you also love There's nothing worth more. the sweetest of loves. When my heart becomes free and my shame is up Thank you. sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame
1: those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Webb. Uh, I'm representing the missions committee this morning to talk with you a little bit about our faith promise initiative and goal this year. Our missions budget as part of the overall church budget annually supports a number of full-time missionaries, short-term missions trips, uh, and local ministries. Um, and that's really a neat thing about what our church is able to do every year. However, in recent years, as our uh, needs have arisen and our vision has grown, We've decided to adopt a faith promise approach to allow for additional giving above and beyond what we typically give um, to the church. A faith promise is a matter of trusting God to supply more than we typically are able to give in addition to our tithes and gifts to the church. Every year we hear stories of how people have given and they've, they've pledged and they've committed to giving a faith promise and how the Lord has supplied the means to be able to do that. And it's just a reminder to me of how God has blessed our church and continues to do so. This year, our Faith Promise Goal pledge was $30,000. And pledges to this date have almost met that full 30000 and the, the exact numbers are printed in the bulletin. And at this point, we've actually received more than half of, of the 30000 that has been pledged. As a recipient and beneficiary myself of some of these gifts, uh, I've been able to go twice to Peru with the men's soccer team from the college, and the church has helped to support that. I want to thank you for those who have given in the past. And from the Commission's Committee, I want to encourage those of you who have pledged to give the gift that you've pledged, and for those that maybe haven't pledged, as you feel led, to make a pledge and become part of the the, the 30,000 goal that we have that we have set for this year in order to do that it's it's simple you can either give your gift just in the regular offering plate if you're writing a check just make a note on the memo line that it's for the faith promise Um, or if you're giving cash just put it in an envelope um, indicating that it's for your faith for the faith promise or you can give your gift just at the church office at any point uh, as well to me uh, it's exciting to see how the lord has blessed us um and i'm looking forward to seeing how he's going to bless us again this year uh with the faith, faith promise pledges thank you scripture
2: this morning comes from acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 19 meanwhile saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the lord's disciples I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be fulfilled, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord.
3: I invite you to stand and uh, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. So if I were asked, if I were to ask you to think of a group of people that you would say maybe wouldn't fit well with the church, who comes to your mind? I suspect that if we if we thought about this a little bit, and maybe it doesn't take long at all, there are groups of people that we would say they're just not church material. They're just just not really a part of who the church is to be. And we would view them as the kind of people that probably would make us feel uncomfortable if they were part of the church, might make them uncomfortable to be a part of the church. This is an issue that... The church has wrestled with, the people of God have wrestled with for centuries. And it's an issue that's at the heart of this story that we read this morning and the one that follows it about uh, Peter and a Roman soldier named Cornelius. You see, the issue for most of us when we start talking about who's welcome in the church comes down to we want to feel like we're special. And in order to feel that we are special, there is something in the back of our minds that tells us there are some people then who aren't as special as we are. And that's what it means to be special, right? If everyone, if everyone is special, is anyone really special? And so in order to, to think about how special we are to God and how we are special to, as a part of the church... Something in us has to declare there are some people who just don't measure up. Some people who are unworthy. Some people who aren't quite as special. Someone has said to me numerous occasions that their, their assumption, their, their thought process, as they look back over the last couple of hundred histories of the church, is that it can be summarized as this. A discussion or an argument about who's in and who's out? Who's in the church, who's out of the church? Who's welcome at the church, and who is not welcome at the church? And there's something in our minds that wrestles with that decision, and it creates an atmosphere, sort of a vibe about who we are as a church. Because see people perceive us, they perceive who we are as a church. They do that on the grander scale of church, but they also do it about this particular congregation. And I'm convinced that a lot of the perception that people have and what shapes their perception has to do with how we perceive ourselves. How do we think people become special? Who's welcome? Who's not? This is an issue that Jesus wrestles with, with the church in the first century. Because they have standards and say, these people are welcome, these people are not. These people are special, these people are not. And invariably, the people that Jesus seems to gravitate toward, the people who gravitate toward him, are the people who are the nots. The people who are outside of the people who are welcome. And that ought to say something to us. As a church, are we creating an atmosphere that welcomes people or pushes people away? Are we creating an atmosphere in which, in which we're thinking of every possible way we can that would make people feel comfortable or every possible way we can think of that would make people feel uncomfortable and stay away from us? In the words of, of David Brooks, are we building ramps or are we building walls? This is the question that I think is that much of what's going on in the story we read about Ananias and Saul and Peter and Cornelius. In the story of Peter and Cornelius, Cornelius is this Roman centurion. He has uh, an affinity toward God, but he just doesn't understand Jesus and the gospel. And he has a vision in prayer, and he, and he is told to go find Peter. And he sends people to find Peter. And at the same time, Peter is up on the rooftop praying, and he has a vision from God with the sheet coming down and all these uh, animals and foods that Jews are not allowed to eat. And it comes down and God says to him, Peter, eat them. He says, no way. I don't eat that food. We're not allowed to eat that. I never would eat something unclean. And God says, if I call it clean, it's not unclean anymore. And Peter's trying to understand this. And there's a knock at the door. And these guys from, from uh Cornelius come, and they tell him about Cornelius' vision, and he says, okay. So he goes with them, and all of a sudden it becomes clear that what God was trying to symbolize in that sheet and the food that he's not supposed to eat is now becoming evident as he goes to the home of this Gentile soldier. Because Jews and Gentiles did not associate with each other. It was unlawful to eat in the home of a Gentile, because when you eat a meal together, it means you're connected, you're in relationship, you're friends You're brothers and sisters, and you don't do that in that culture between Jews and Gentiles. And Peter is breaking every rule that has been set up for what it means for a Jew to deal with a Gentile. And he preaches the gospel to them, and their lives are transformed. And Peter says, I now begin to understand that God doesn't play favorites. And that's something we need to understand. But it's hard. Ananias and Peter are both hesitant to take this step. Ananias is hesitant because Saul's been persecuting Christians. And why would I go to where that persecution is taking place? And Peter is hesitant because Cornelius is a Jew. He's a Roman. He represents everything that is, that is the opposite of what it means to be the Jewish people. And they, they are oppressing the Jewish people. And, and they are, he's sinful. He's not a Jew. And they're hesitant. And you can almost hear both of them saying, Lord, you want me to go talk to who? Where? Are you out of your mind? And we often have the same kinds of discussions with God. You want me to to go talk to who? You want us to welcome who? Are you sure? What if things don't go right? What if all this explodes? What if it what if we fall on our face? What if what if they do things that we're uncomfortable with? What if it doesn't work out the way we think it should work out? And God's answer to us is trust me. Trust me. And I could almost hear God saying to us, "You do remember that you're here only because of my grace, right? You're here only because at some point in time, either you or someone in your family in the past was welcomed when they shouldn't have been. When the church had every reason to not welcome them, they were welcomed. And now that's what I want you to do with other people. We forget sometimes that the church is complicated and it's messy. We forget sometimes that that we are here only because of God's grace. It's not because we are so wonderful. It's not because we checked off all the boxes. It's not because we have earned some right to be a part of the church. It's not because we got our lives taken care of. We figured out all the problems and we got those organized and, and, and fixed. And then we came to the church. We come to the church so that God can fix us. So that God can redeem us and transform us. And what we're simply talking about is creating an atmosphere in which people who need to experience Jesus feel welcome so they can experience Jesus. And once people come to Jesus, then we start talking about the accountability structure that we have and the need to grow and to learn and change and our lives to be transformed and changed but too often the image that we, that, we, uh, that we impose on people is when you get your life together, when you've figured out all the stuff that's going wrong, when you get that dealt with, then you can come be a part of the church. I'm so glad people didn't say that of me. some point we have to say, Lord, I don't know exactly how this is going to work out and there are lots of questions but we're going to trust you. And of course, the minute we start talking about welcoming people who are unexpected, welcoming people that others may want to exclude, people are missing to understand. As I'm standing up here talking today, one of my greatest fears is that you will misunderstand me. But you will not hear what I'm saying. Because as we start talking about welcoming people and the church having an atmosphere of, of being, of open doors and of ramps instead of walls, the natural thing that so many people turn to is, so we're just saying, we're just going to have people come and they can just do whatever they want and nothing, and nothing matters. That's not what we're saying at all. That's certainly not the picture you get with Peter or with Ananias. The whole point is they stick out their necks, they risk to to engage and welcome people that quite frankly in their culture and in the setting they shouldn't, so that those people can be changed and transformed. And that's the whole point. This is not some way of saying, we're just going to, people can just do whatever they want and we don't care about sin and we don't care about problems. No, we just realize that that if we don't welcome people to Jesus, then they will make other choices about where they're going to go to try to find hope for the hopelessness and despair of their lives. In John chapter six, Jesus is meeting with his, bigger group of disciples, and he starts talking about some difficult things, and a bunch of them leave him, and he turns to the 12 disciples, he says, you guys going to leave too? And say to him, why would we leave? You alone have the words of life. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're simply trying to create an atmosphere which people say, I want to be a part of that group because they have the words of life. And if the church doesn't welcome people who are unexpected and people we might think shouldn't be welcomed, how are they ever going to hear about Jesus? How are they ever going to have their lives transformed and changed like we have? And instead of acting as if people who have never engaged Jesus should act like they have engaged Jesus... We recognize people who have never had the opportunity to respond to Jesus or to know the grace of Jesus are going to act like they haven't. And we meet them where they are. With compassion and grace and love and mercy. Just like we want offered to us. I mean what we're really talking about is the having the heart of Jesus. Having the heart of the Father toward people who need the Father, who need Jesus. And just as you and I have had the awesome experience, hopefully, of of being embraced by Jesus and having our lives transformed, we want that for everybody else too. And so we're creating an atmosphere in the church so that people can see that and understand that. Because no one will believe that God really loves them and cares for them and wants them unless they get a glimpse of that from God's people. And sometimes we do a really good job of that and sometimes not so good. But there are always going to be people who are going to misinterpret what we're trying to do. And when Peter brings uh, Cornelius, and the story is told about him uh, talking to Cornelius and sharing the gospel with Cornelius and what happens with him. There is a group of Christians in Jerusalem who are very upset. And they call Peter before them and say, what are you doing? You shared the gospel with these Gentiles, and you went and you ate in their home. We don't do those kinds of things. What's wrong with you? Peter tells them the whole story of what happens. And you've got to give them credit because when they hear the story, they say, awesome. Okay, we get it now. John Stott says this whole story about Peter and Cornelius is really not so much about the conversion of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. It's really a story about about the conversion of Peter. It's a story about how Peter's heart is transformed, how Peter's eyes are opened how Peter begins to get a glimpse of the heart of God. And that's the calling on us. The question is, how do we do that? How do we get to the place where where we have that same heart toward others that God has toward us and God has toward others? I think one way is it's the way we read Scripture. Mark Laverton talks about reading, being part of a group one time who who decided to read scripture from the perspective of people outside the church. And they all had friends in various stages of difficulty and struggle and life's issues. And so they had they were trying they had one guy who was serving a life sentence in prison, one guy who was uh, who was suffering with AIDS, another person who was really into the occult. Somebody else who, who uh, was formerly in the church and had rejected Jesus and was not a Christian anymore. They had all these different categories of people. And they began to read the scriptures, trying to think of how those people would interpret what they were reading. And said so it just totally transformed their perspective, not only about the scriptures, but about these people. It made such a huge difference in their compassion toward people and how, how people view God in the church and the scriptures and it totally transformed their ability to try to connect with these people who had negative feelings about God in the church. But I think another way that, that, we, that our mind gets changed is through prayer. This is one of the reasons why the prayer vigil is so important to us. You know, we're going to be starting at this new prayer vigil in a couple of weeks, two weeks from today, in fact. And we've been doing this for six or seven years, and we spend three weeks in November, 24 hours a day of prayer, seven days a week. And, and we are creating prayer room space, and we've had these prayer rooms for a while, but this year we're really changing them up a lot. And, try, and we're connecting them to a lot of these sermons that we're talking about over, this, over the fall time. And I'm convinced that being a part of the prayer vigil and being a part of an extended time of prayer gives God time to work on us. Somebody said in the prayer room, we begin to imitate God because we're spending time with God. So often our prayers are three minutes here and five minutes there. And and often our prayers are, at least a lot of times my prayers are, God, do this, God, do that. God, take care of this, God, take care of that. And that is a, those are good prayers and we need to pray them. But we also need prayers where we sit and we listen. And we let God speak into our hearts. And maybe as we're in the prayer room and as you engage the section of the prayer room that deals with what we're talking about today, God will put someone in your mind maybe a group of people in your mind and in my mind that will cause us to see them the way God sees them. And what's so awesome about this kind of perspective is that both for Ananias and for Peter, not only is it transformational for the people they're talking to and they welcome, but it's for them as well. Their world is expanded. And we sometimes talk about having a world view. Maybe what we need to talk about is having our view of the world. What is our view of the world? And they begin to see people as God does. As valuable, loved creator creation. As people that God has, has created and has gifted and wants to redeem and transform sometimes in prayer we begin to see people and we begin to understand a little bit about why their lives are the way they are. Maybe the church has hurt them. Maybe they've gone through some experiences that are hard for us to fathom. Maybe they've just gotten themselves mixed up in some things that they can't get out of. And for us to be Eyes and hands and and mouths and of the grace of God is transformational to them, and to watch that happen is transformational to us. I once read about a church that was meeting together, and it was a small church, and one of the leaders of the church made a motion. That everyone in the church, that they would make a set of keys for the church, for everybody who was in the church. he said, and then we can keep the church locked up all the rest of the time. Because you just never know who might want to come into the church. And I fear that sometimes, maybe that's our perspective. When all the while, God, who has welcomed us with all of our stuff, is asking us to be a presence of welcome for other people and all of their stuff. So that they, like us, might find joy and peace and freedom and the grace and blessing of God. And their hearts transformed. As a church, as a body of believers, is our default to see how we can keep some people out? Or to welcome everybody to Jesus? By our actions and our words, are we attempting to build ramps or walls? Heavenly Father, we pray that you will give us grace to be as welcoming to other people as you are to us. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. As we spend time together in prayer, pray not only for ourselves, but for the needs of our community and the wider communities in the world. As we pray together, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please come and join me. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you that you are good. Your arms are open wide. We pray that you would help us to, to develop those that same perspective. Father, we thank you that you are with us in our struggles working on us, healing us, setting us free, opening our minds and our hearts. Father, we pray that that you will pour out your Spirit on all among us who are in need today. We think of all who are grieving. We think of all who are struggling with health concerns. And we pray especially today for Phil Muker and Ted Hopkins, for Evelyn Heil and Alice Brown, for Florence Tuber and Mike Raybuck, for Jill Tyson and Bruce Brenneman, for Bev Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould, for Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar, and for anyone else who might be on our minds today. We pray, Father, for this world in which we live and ask for your grace and mercy on people who are struggling with recovering from natural disasters, both recent and long term. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who face great persecution and opposition for their faith. We pray, Father, for Rose Jones and the team that she is with in Cuba. As they work there, Lord, along with Cuban Christians and the National Disability Organization to fit wheelchairs and other mobility equipment for those who are in need. We pray that you will bless their efforts as they subtly share the gospel with people. May it bring fruit beyond any of their wildest imaginations. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy upon each of us continue to open our hearts to you and to the gospel and to one another and to the world and we pray all of this through the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ the one who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven
0: to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. Come out of sadness From wherever you've been, come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. There's hope for the hopeless, and all those who stray. Come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. So. heaven can't heal earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal Guy who thinks he'll never amount to much of anything. To those, those of us who feel, feel unwanted, unwanted, unneeded, unloved, unloved and desperately desperate. in to the God who
3: Mention just a couple of things before you go. Uh, last Sunday night, J.L. Miller, who was uh, ordained into the Christian ministry at a service at the Orchard Park Wesleyan Church, and if you see him, just congratulate him. It's a big deal. And uh, we, we celebrate with him. And so we, uh, we rejoice in this great event in his life. And also, we want to uh, mention that uh, we had another baby born this week, Benjamin Case Creighton, he was born to John and Karin last Sunday. And we celebrate with them and rejoice in the gift of new life to their family and to ours. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.